Hey everyone, my name is Randall Heyer and I'm the worship arts pastor here at Cochrane Alliance Church. We are so glad that you've come to check out the latest sermon and we pray that you are encouraged, challenged, and ultimately that you are drawn closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Most adults have 32 teeth. I have 31. Now you wouldn't be able to tell unless you were getting way too into my personal space. Um, But this isn't a story about how I lost my tooth. This is a story about how I didn't lose my tooth. About 10 years ago, I was working up in Edmonton in the inner city, and I walked into work one day. I reached for the door handle, and I heard a scream. So I turned to see a woman who was disheveled and had a ripped coat, and she was struggling to hold on to her bike. And the man who held the other end of her bike He shoved her hard and he knocked her to the ground. And so I took some steps across the road and I called out what I thought was an authoritative voice. Hey, what's going on there? And the man turned. He let go of the bike and he started towards me. You looking to get knocked out, he shouted. I'm going to smash your teeth in. And he would have. But like I said, this isn't a story about how I lost my tooth. That man didn't smash in my teeth that day. My tooth came out with the help of a dentist, some really good leverage, and uh, some meds that made me feel very comfortable. Um, But what happened that day in Edmonton, it it shook me. It scared me. And it wasn't just the violence that I saw towards this vulnerable woman. It wasn't just the, the threat against me personally. What scared me was what happened next. It was how I responded. See, he stepped towards me, and I stepped back. And I turned away, and I went inside my office building, looking for someone else to take care of it. That's what scared me. It scared me that as a person who claimed to know and to love the God of justice, that I just turned my back on my neighbor, And I had left her at the mercy of a violent man. And it left me wondering, is this what Jesus wants for me? Is this this kingdom life that we're called to? As Brent mentioned, my name is Robin Pedani, and I serve as the Alberta-based director for International Justice Mission, or IJM. And today we're going to look at the passage in Luke 10, a very familiar passage to most people, But we're going to look at it through Jesus' eye towards justice. We're going to see God's heart for justice and what it could look like for us to do justice. Turn with me, if you will, or read them on the screen. Luke 10, 25 to 37. Just then a teacher of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your um, heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, with this parable. 
A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him and beat him and went away leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down by the other side of the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. And he went to him. And he bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn. And he took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, And he gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay whatever you spend. So then Jesus asks, which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And he replied, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. My wife and I often talk about the example that we are showing and setting for our kids as they watch us. As we live, do they see something about the life of following Jesus that is compelling? Is it something that they would want to emulate, an adventure that they would want to give their lives to? Or would they be uninspired by what they see us living out in front of them? So Jesus says to us in John 10, 10, that he came to give us life, life abundantly, life that is full, a life worth living. But when I look at my church life, and I boil down this soupy mix of my life in Jesus to its very marrow in the bones, do you know what I often see there? I see a safe, comfortable worship that rarely costs me anything and that few, including my children, would want to imitate. I see a similar question in my heart that I see Jesus asked by this lawyer who says, Jesus, what's the bare minimum I need to do to enter your kingdom? So we pray the sinner's prayer, check. Join a church, attend a small group, check, check. Get married, have kids, maybe watch the Super Bowl, check, check, check. And then I tiptoe past my suffering neighbor as I try and sneak into God's kingdom. C.S. Lewis says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink, sex, and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We are far too easily pleased. So what is this life of infinite joy and meaning that Christ has rescued us for? Certainly life in the spirit, life as a church together, isn't less than this. But could it be more? And so last week you explored what is required of us. Micah 6.8, where it says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Do you want a life of meaning and significance? Then do justice. 
Now, I could understand some skepticism about that statement. I literally work at an organization called International Justice Mission. And so you might think, well, of course he's telling me that justice is important. But if he worked for the International House of Pancakes, he'd tell me that pancakes are important. But this isn't something that I came up with. Justice wasn't my idea. This is God's idea. And indeed, we see it as a reflection of God's character everywhere in God's word. We looked at Micah 6, 8. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17 says this. It's actually literally on my water bottle. It says, learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. Now, in case you think this is just a new or an Old Testament focus, we see Jesus say this over and over again in the New Testament as well. In Matthew 23, verse 23, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And all these scriptures in Matthew, in Isaiah, and in Micah, these are where God is speaking to his people. Those that we would say are inside the church, supposedly living a life of obedience and faithfulness to God. And the verses leading up to Isaiah 1.17 are a brutal indictment of God's people. He literally says, I can't stand your worship services. I'm sick of it. Pray all you want. I won't listen. We spend a lot of time as a church planning worship services, but I wonder if we ask ourselves, is God listening? I hope you see here throughout Scripture that God's heart bleeds for those who are still being crushed by violent oppression around the world. And he's calling us to wake up and to do something about it. iGym's founder, Gary Haugen, heard that wake-up call in 1994. As a well-regarded human rights lawyer, Gary was sent to Rwanda to lead the United Nations investigation into the Rwandan genocide. And Gary was standing in a small brick church, one of just over a hundred massacre sites that he would have to document. And this unsettling question settled on him. Where was the church? See, as Christians, we've learned wonderful ways of reaching out in love to those that are living in poverty. We've learned how to send missionaries to far-flung corners of the globe to share about God's love in Christ. We've learned how to feed the hungry, to dig clean water wells, to build schools. But the victims of violence in Rwanda, they needed something else. Not a doctor, not a well, not a school, or a sermon. What they needed was someone to hold back the hand that held the machete. They needed to be rescued and protected from violence. And that is why IJAM was founded 25 years ago. To protect those in poverty from violence. To do justice. And this is the inspiration we've been gripped with at IJM, and it's available to you here this morning and you watching online. God's call to love all people and to seek justice for the oppressed. So how do we do it? How do we do justice? 
How does IJM do it, and how do we as the church? And I think we can get some direction for how in the way that the Samaritan acted in this passage. We're going to look at three parts of what it means to do justice. To do justice means that we need to be willing to see injustice. We need to be willing to get close to those who experience injustice. And to do justice will cost us something. See injustice, get close, and it will cost us something. So to do justice, we need to be willing to see injustice. Luke 10.33, and he saw him. Now when we turn and really look at the injustice in our world, what do we see? What has IJM seen for 25 years on the front line of facing this rampant, violent head-on? When we look at the injustice in our world, what we see is that the poor and the vulnerable face disproportionate violence. They are preyed on every single day by criminals. So why this focus on the poor? Well, the reality is when we think of injustice as a global problem, the stares you in the face inescapable truth is that the poor are ravaged, beaten, and ground down under everyday violence at a rate that we don't even come close to experiencing here in Canada. Nicholas Walsterstorff, in his book Justice, wrote, Injustice is not equally distributed. And in fact, if you were to free every victim of human trafficking in North America today, 95% of those people who are still held in slavery worldwide would still be trapped in that nightmare. In fact, just four months ago, there was a new study that was released by the International Labor Organization, the ILO. And it estimates that in the year 2021, 50 million people were held in modern-day slavery around the world. Now, if you've connected with IJM for some time, you'll know that that number has actually increased. It was 40.3 million the last time they did this estimate, about six years ago. We must be willing to see this terrible reality, to see like the Samaritan saw the pain of his neighbor. And as we at IJM have been willing to turn and see the reality of this injustice in the world, it's informed where we focus our efforts. IJM has 29 field offices in 17 countries around the world to protect people in poverty from violence. And this is the scope of the difference that you're making. Now, I know that the I in international justice mission, the international, can, can be a barrier for some people. It can be hard to justify giving attention or funds to end exploitation of people over there when we know that there are people that are suffering close to home. I get it. But remember why Jesus launched into this parable? It was because the man asked him, and who's my neighbor? It's always going to be tempting to think that our neighbors are just the people that are close to home. People who are like us, who look like us, sound like us. And so when this man asks Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? He probably thought Jewish covenant people, like me. But Jesus uses the non-Jewish Samaritan in his parable specifically to show that the neighborhood is bigger than we can imagine at first. That God is opening our eyes to see our neighbors around the world because God sees them. 
Martin Luther King Jr. famously said that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And when he wrote that, it was in his letter from a Birmingham jail to eight church leaders in Birmingham, Alabama, who asked him why he was coming down to their part of the South and that this didn't really concern him. And he said to them this quote, that we should see our neighbor everywhere, wherever injustice takes place, because God sees them. 50 million people around the world today are trapped in slavery, and they are our neighbors. And we have to be willing to see them as our neighbors. And you're already doing that because of your involvement with Cochrane Alliance Church and being here this morning. You that are turning, tuning in online as well for the live stream, you are already turning and seeing. But seeing is not enough on its own. We see in the parable that the priest and the Levite also saw the man and they walked along to the other side. And so in order to do justice, we have to go beyond just seeing, we have to mirror the Samaritan and we have to get close to those who are experiencing injustice. He went to him. Again, Nicholas Walterstorff, in his book, Justice, writes, in seeing the faces and in hearing the voices of those who are wronged, we acknowledge that they come before us bearing a claim on us and that there is something we have to do in response to seeing their faces and hearing their voices. Do you remember that number earlier? 50 million. That line, 50 million, sometimes you hear, one death is a, a, a tragedy, a million is a statistic. 50 million is too big. It's impersonal for something as personal and as brutally intimate as violence. There's a theologian named Gustavo Gutierrez who famously said, you say you care about the poor, then tell me, what are their names? I'll tell you their names. Her name is Tayama. And she was enslaved for almost four years in a woodcutting operation by a brutal and violent man she called only the Beast. His name is Kofi. And he was only eight years old. When he was trafficked, a trafficker tricked his family into sending Kofi into two long years of forced labor slavery on a fishing boat in Ghana. And her name is Jackie. I had a chance to meet Jackie last year. And as a child, she suffered years of sexual violence from her biological father, only to have the police in Guatemala City send her back home to him when she mustered the courage to report the abuse. Name by name, case by case, IJM has drawn close to the victims of violence and exploitation around the world. And if we want to live the lives of meaning and purpose where we get to stand up for Kofi and Tayama and Jackie, then we have to get close to them. When we get close to the very people experiencing injustice, we also learn how to act. You see, the Good Samaritan didn't just throw money at the man on the side of the road. He got close, and only then did he see what the wounds were and what bandages he needed. You might have seen that famous internet parable about starfish, and the boy's on the seashore, and he sees all these starfish. 
and he's picking them up and throwing them back into the ocean, and he says to some skeptic, well, it makes a difference for this one. That was IJM about 25 years ago. Sometimes we call it IJM 1.0. Case by case. We just wanted to see if we could help one little girl be rescued from a brothel, or one widow get justice against the man who threw her violently from her land. And so we did, case by case, thousands of times over. But as we got close, we realized as good as it is for a 10-year-old girl to be rescued from a brothel in Kolkata or Mumbai, what if she never had to be enslaved in the first place? What if we could change the entirety of the system? Because the reality is those justice systems had to change if there was any hope of plugging the leaking boat instead of just bailing it out. Martin Luther King Jr., in a beautiful reflection on this parable, says, On one hand, we, the church, are called to play the Good Samaritan on life's roadside, but that will only be an initial act. One day we must come to see that the whole Jericho road must be transformed so that men and women will not constantly be beaten and robbed as they make their journey on life's highway. See, in Scripture, God is frequently described as the defender of the poor, but not the defender of the rich. Why? Because the rich already have a defender. It's the one they can pay for. But in the countries around the world where IJM work, the poor don't have that. They might have laws to protect them, but they don't have law enforcement. And if they don't have that, the message sent in their community is that it's open season. You can do what you like to children and women in this community, and there is no measurable consequence. When we first began our work in Bolivia, uh, it's a country of about 10 million people, and there was tens of thousands of sexual assaults against minors every single year. Do you know what the average of convictions of those violent perpetrators were from the years 2000 to 2007? I can count them on one hand. Actually, I can count them on less than three fingers. It was less than three perpetrators who were convicted between the years 2000 and 2007 on average every year, despite the fact there was tens of thousands of violent crimes against these children. The reality is there's no substitute for a functioning justice system in a country. It's true here in Canada, and it's true around the world. You or I, we can't arrest a violent criminal. The church has no authority to put them in prison. And so if the poor worldwide are ever to have justice, then they need the protection of a functioning justice system. And that's what we saw when we got close. We redeem lives, and we redeem systems. And this is what you can help IJM to do as well. How we do this is we build with the existing justice system. We train police officers and judges. Trauma-informed training, like the one you heard about earlier today. In fact, there's a team that I'm helping to be a part of, help fund, that is going down in November to train judges in Bolivia on how to try cases of sexual violence against minors in a trauma-informed way so that the victims aren't re-traumatized over and over and over. You imagine the courage it takes to report the crime and go to court and only to have it be that much more traumatic for you as a survivor. It doesn't have to be that way, and we're working to change that. We also can't wait for the system to change, though. We need to rescue people out of this violence right now. A child in a brothel can't wait till the system reforms or the hearts of people are redeemed, they need to be rescued right then, and the police are the only ones who have that authority, so we partner to rescue and restore survivors. 
And then we also bring the criminals to justice because if you don't do that, they just find out some other vulnerable poor person that they can exploit. And then we scale this demand so it's not dependent on IJM indefinitely, but that we have government partners and community partners around the world who are taking this training and multiplying it. For 25 years now, IJM with our partners in government have proven that justice for the poor is possible. We've brought to freedom more than 77,000 people who had been experiencing violence and oppression. And we've convicted more than 4,600 criminals in local courts, ensuring that they cannot hurt others. This is the impact that IGEM supporters and church partners have had in the world, and it's the impact you can have as well. And what's more, because of the strong message this sends in the community that we do not tolerate this against, criminal, against children and women in our community, it actually deters criminal, brutal crimes from happening in the first place. IJM's casework has resulted in a measurable drop in violent exploitations in these regions around the world, in Uganda, in Mumbai, in Kolkata, in Dominican Republic, in Cebu, in the Philippines, in Pampanga, in Manila, and Cambodia, places where children were bought and sold in brothels and massage parlors on the streets, and we saw a radical drop in this crime when the laws were enforced and when the justice systems protected the poorest and most vulnerable. And these measurements come from externally validated studies that show the impact of IGM's work. This is what happens when a community says no more. And so if you want your lives to have meaning, lasting, transformative work in the world, this is an example of what it could look like as we lean into bringing justice in the world. And I want to give you hope too because you can be a part of this solution. When you hear a number like 50 million, it feels impossible, but when you look at statistics like this, it shows we can do something to change that. This doesn't have to be the reality. But as we see in Jesus' parable, if we want to do justice, it is going to cost us something. Jesus says that the Samaritan took out two denarii, which is roughly equivalent to two days' wages, and he gave them to the innkeeper to repay and said to him, I'll come back as well and repay whatever else it's going to cost to restore this man that had experienced violence. And then Jesus tells his listener, go and do likewise. Now I was back on those streets in Edmonton, and I turned away from my neighbor. I felt like I was in over my head. So I went into this office building, and I actually got two security guards who were trained security guards and came out with me, and they provided what I lacked. They stepped in with more experience than I could ever hope to have. The reality is when we talk about trauma-informed social work, or we talk about police prosecutors who are investigating crimes of sexual violence against children. We talk about lawyers who know the book inside and out in their country on human trafficking. These are professionals. They have a certain level of expertise that, that we don't always have. And this is exactly the type of thing that donors to IJM help to fund. And supporters like you, Cochrane Alliance Church. I don't know if you know this. I hope you do. You have a homegrown justice initiative right here. There's a big trailer parked for it right out in your parking lot. It's a justice initiative called Freedom 8848, and these crazy bunch of mountain climbing, justice-seeking men and women, do you know that they have raised together over $60,000 for international justice mission over the past three years? They know that it has costed them something to do justice. And that's the equivalent 
of having funded about six rescue operations with IJM. Just think. On average, we can see between sometimes four and as many as 500 people in one rescue operation that are brought out of slavery and oppression. And so there could be hundreds of people in the world who trace their day of freedom to what happened in this church in Alberta on the edge of the Rockies. And so if you're looking for a way to step into this joyful life of meaning, of setting the captives free, then this year would you consider joining Freedom 8848? in a meaningful way. I actually hear that registration is open right now, too. Now, some of you are already planning to do that, and that's wonderful, but you're thinking, oh, I want to start living this life of service for the oppressed today. Right now, what can I do? I do want you to consider responding by becoming a freedom partner with IJM. You can scan this QR code on the screen, and it'll take you to a page But I want to answer this question, what's a freedom partner? Well, freedom partners are this compassionate, justice-minded group of individuals, these dedicated IJM monthly donors who make the long, faithful work of justice possible. Their committed monthly giving also means that when there's a rescue operation ready to go, there's never a question of, is there enough resources? And many IJM Canada, uh, Canada supporters give around $50 a month. I know that, includes my wife and I. And this would actually provide the urgent care needs of a child survivor of sexual exploitation in the Philippines. Those initial needs that they have right when they're rescued by their social workers. Just think, every single month, you could be committing to show up for one rescued survivor. And I'd love to see many of you standing with us at IJM and those still trapped in slavery by becoming a freedom partner today. And there's another really good reason why. There's a generous family that I actually get to work with here in Alberta. And they told me that for every new Freedom Partner that signs up today, they will match your monthly giving for this entire year. I kind of wish I had waited to sign up, but you can. And so if you sign up at $35 a month, that's a $70 donation every month that's going to be made. $50 doubles to $100 a month. And if you sign up as a $100 a month donor, it'll be matched to $200 every single month for this entire year. I could tell you the name of this family. I won't. But this is not a made-up match. This is a real family that says they will do this as we have new Freedom Partners that sign up. So if you're on the fence, please take advantage of this generous family's offer to double your first year of giving. Join us as a Freedom Partner today. You can scan this QR code. It'll take you to a page, or we have some wonderful volunteers that actually I just met today who are manning a table in the back, and they'll be happy to be able to meet you there and take your information and help you make this impact today. This, this decision could be your first step in this long journey of justice. Now, I know that doing justice is going to cost us, but the cost of doing nothing is far greater. In our churches and in our lives, to miss out on the fullness of God's kingdom of being a part of, seeing set, of setting the captives free, and the cost for millions like Kofi and Teyama and Jackie is too horrific to consider. They are still crying out for justice and for rescue. IGM founder Gary Haugen says that God has a plan to bring justice to the world, and his plan is us. This Love Justice series can be just the start of a great adventure of seeking justice together. Living the kind of life that my kids and your kids would want to imitate. 
Because justice isn't just a single action. It's not a Sunday. It's a long, hard, and beautiful road that we get to walk together. So let's keep walking. Let me pray. Good Father, thank you for your heart. That you see the hurt and the oppression. You see the people that are still trapped in slavery around the world. And we just pray, God, that as we have an opportunity to say yes, to wake up and do something about it, that we would join you in that. Father, we confess we know it's going to cost us, and we repent of sometimes being too comfortable, of reducing this full and abundant life of, of your kingdom to something personal, about where we just get to do what's minimum to get into the kingdom. But help us to see our neighbor. God, help us to get close to our neighbor and help us, whether it's through IGM or all the different ways that we can, to embrace the cost of doing something to set the captives free. That in this church and in the Canadian church, there could be a movement of vibrancy of life. Um, and that the world would sit up and take notice and say, there's something happening there. And that there's people around the world who will trace their day of rescue where their story intersects with ours because of our response to say yes to you in obedience, Jesus. This is your work of justice. This is your kingdom come. And we pray that it would in your name. Amen.